Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I have with me the one, the only, Kate Payne. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bridget. I'm really excited to be with, uh, with you on your show. I am too, especially because of your area of expertise, because everybody, this is going to be a twofer. You are going to get information on just how to be an awesome speaker and get rid of all those fears on the stage. But also, Kate might drop a gem or two about LinkedIn and how to use that to your advantage. So I'm telling you, lean in even closer to your speakers. So speaking of speakers, Kate, you are a professional speaker. How did you get started? Tell us a little bit about the Kate Payne story and then how did you find your way to a microphone? Okay. Well, you know, it's funny. I think the first time I became a speaker was way back in high school when I actually took a public speaking class and this would have been in the early eighties. So I'm kind of dating myself, but I did, I took a public speaking class and I remember that taking it was going to be terrifying. But the teacher that was teaching it was one of my favorite teachers. And um, he taught us all different types of speeches to do persuasive, you know, um, about it, trying to sell a product actually kind of thing. It was kind of fun. And I think I kind of got a taste for it even in high school. Then fast forward to, you know, me and my business today, um, my business name is standing out online. So I help a lot of people who are speakers, coaches, and authors uh, figure out how to market themselves online using specifically the LinkedIn platform. So I work with them on their personal branding and stuff. And so as I started to build my business and my clientele, I started to get lots of invitations to speak. And of course, as a lot of us do, or maybe, maybe you didn't, but I did. I live in a small state. I live in Vermont. It's rural. I got asked to speak a lot for free. <laughs> mm. Oh, yes. Kate, oh, please. <laughs> you know any speaker. <laughs> you go to you're asked to speak for free don't get me started I know I mean that's a whole separate podcast right Bridget yes (laughs) so but you know at the same time in retrospect I'm actually really grateful for those opportunities because it really did it was a great training ground Um, it was a great way to test new material and you know but after a couple years I thought this is ridiculous I can't keep doing this and putting all this time into creating a presentation not to mention the time speaking but the presentation prep is is even more time consuming and um so but I started to see that people were really hungry for this information. And so I started putting it out on my website and um, I started getting called and then clients were referring me. So I went from speaking in Vermont to like New England. And then all of a sudden I'm out in California or Florida or Canada. And uh, so now I speak all over. So um, it was really something I wanted to do. I was really nervous about it at first. And then once I started doing it and because I love what I do, I got really excited about it, which I think made me a better speaker. So when you were talking about the high school public speaking class, uh, (laughs) you took me back. Uh, 
I, I didn't take one in the 80s, but I did take a public speaking class. What, what was it? It wasn't public. Yeah, I guess it was called public speaking in college. And yeah. I don't know that I've ever told anyone this. It's the craziest thing in the world. I have one C, one C on all of my transcripts, one C ever. All the others are A's and B's. And that one C was from that public speaking class. Oh my God, isn't that funny? And now look at you. Is, is, isn't that wild? Is it? Yeah, and I, your word out, I, teacher. <laughs> I, I never could get anything right for her. I don't know what it was all about. It was a Tuesday, Thursday class. Feels like it met from 9.30 to 10.50, if I remember correctly. I don't know what the deal was. And I remember we had the note cards. I don't have any with me right now, but we had the little index cards. Index cards, yes. Yes, yes. We didn't have PowerPoint. <laughs> no, we didn't have any of that stuff. In fact, you just made me think of one of the, one of the speeches I had to do in high school was to show somebody how to do something like a skill that they needed mm-hmm. to learn. So from the beginning, the middle and end, and I actually chose how to water ski because I love to water ski. So I brought my water ski into the auditorium and showed them like how you put the water ski on and how you like hold the rope and everything. <laughs> That's really funny. I didn't <laughs> have a thought about that in a long time. Well, and see, that's what's interesting was before PowerPoint and before Keynote and all of these fabulous tech tools that we have, we did bring in props. I can't remember uh, taking in any props. Maybe I should have in that class, but, and maybe my BDU was distracting. I had battle dress uniform. Uh, I had a battle dress uniform, BDU. I'll explain that I wore on Tuesdays and Thursdays because I was in army ROTC. Oh, gotcha. I took army ROTC in college, partially because I didn't want to take PE. I thought wearing the BDUs was far sexier than the PE shorts that we had to wear. <laughs> I had an interesting rationale for everything. So maybe wearing that, you know, that get up every Tuesday, Thursday for ROTC, which was also on the same day I took speech, you know, didn't score me any good points. I don't know. Oh, but well, anyway, we, right, right. But we had to rely on our personality and we had to rely on really knowing our content or rely right. on props or rely on our attire as opposed to leaning on technology. Exactly. But what do you do, Kate, when you do have a tech fail? Let's say you've got this fabulous PowerPoint or these great graphics. What do you do when all of a sudden technology is just not your friend? Well, and it's happened, but I have always gone into every presentation, even from a mindset standpoint, that can I give this talk if everything doesn't work? You know, Mm -hmm. um, if can I still do it? And so I would say to this day, that I always have it in the back of my mind that if I have to, like literally, because sometimes, especially when I'm teaching something really how to with regard to LinkedIn, and I've got to show screenshots, like you click here and you click there kind of thing. Um, I, if I have my laptop, which runs on a battery, if I actually had to, I could turn the laptop around, depending on the size of the group, of course. But at least I could, even if I had to, I could walk around the room to show the thing I'm talking about. But the majority of my talks are foundational, like about personal branding, for example, about marketing, about knowing your target audience, um, how to position yourself so that you can present yourself online in a way that is helpful and of service versus braggy and boastful. And um, so, but that's a great question because you just never know, right? 
And um, that's something that I, I've always let people know is you've got to try to be able to talk about something um, off the cuff. You know, you've got to really know your topic so that if the technology doesn't work, you're not left there kind of going, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of the, oh my God, what am I going to do moments? That's when you can really start to doubt yourself. That yes. confidence level could have been at a 10 and it drops down to about a three. When you lack confidence in yourself or all of a sudden you have self-doubt or mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, Kate, and maybe this doesn't ever happen to you, but let, if, it, if it does or ever has, what do you do or what did you do to get rid of it? Well, in the very beginning, when I was, when I was really, especially when I started speaking in bigger forums and I started speaking at like digital marketing conferences, imposter syndrome totally came in because I'm meeting all these other people, usually a day or two before my slot. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And like to myself, what am I doing here? These people know so much more than me. And I talked about it once with, with a uh, business coach of mine, and I put it right out there. And she said, she said something really interesting. She said, think about what an expert is. And she's like, when you think, if you want to call yourself, for example, a LinkedIn expert, I'm just using that as an example, own it. Because first of all, an expert, you know more than somebody else, but of course there are people who know more than you. And an expert should always be seen as somebody who's always learning. And when I heard that, I, that was a huge light bulb moment for me where I went, you know something? I am always learning. I'm networking. I'm asking questions. I'm reading. I'm reading other people's content, not to steal from, but to learn from. And um, that when I finally kind of looked at it that way, I always thought that, you know, because you always get that person in a group that asks a question. And I'm like, you know, I almost always have an answer, but sometimes I just don't. And I used to try to um, BS my way through it. And then I realized, you know what, it's okay to say, you know something, that's an excellent question. I don't know. And I will get back to you. Let's talk after the session. That's so, yeah, that's I think it. When you just know that you don't have to know everything, that should be like a relief. Do the best you can with what you have. It's a huge relief, Kate. It's a huge relief. I like to tell people, even if you know only 10% of what there is to know about a topic, you know so much more than what the audience knows. The audience Absolutely. is, yes. And that should be a weight off of your shoulders. And I love that definition of an expert. An expert is someone who's always, always learning. learning because there, there is no switch that says once you get to, you know, X age or X number of years in an industry, now you're an expert and you stop reading and you stop conversing with others and you stop networking and you stop researching. It doesn't happen. Right. You have a, a very specific interest in an area and you want to devour everything that comes across your, your desk about that topic. Exactly. The, the other thing I do too, again, depending on the venue, sometimes I'm in a venue where I either meet a colleague or a current client, former client or a friend, you know, that's with me or something, or I make a friend before my session. And if they come to my session, I'll always say, listen, five minutes before I go on, we come out back and just let me kind of go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm nervous, I'm nervous. Blah, blah, blah. And then they give you like that focus, like you're good, breathe, you know, you're going to be fine. And within one minute after you start, you're going to hit your groove and you're going to be fine. And so using people like that, just to kind of 
help me get the, the jitters out for a little bit is also very helpful. It's nice to have somebody kind of in your in kind of in yes. your back pocket. I mean, even if it's a girlfriend or a colleague, a spouse, what have you, where maybe if you tell them the day before, listen, I have a presentation at 10 o'clock in the morning and listen, I, I need you to kind of be my lifeline yeah. up until 10 o'clock. So if I buzz you, if I text you, I need you to text back with something encouraging. Send me yeah. some silly emoji or something. Have somebody on standby where they know that you might need a cheerleader and they can be their cheerleader for you. Kind of like that game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It's like your yep. lifeline. You know, you've got that or that, you know, call a friend or whatever. Um, And so as long I think if you have all of these things in place so that you're prepared with that, you're going to go into it in a much more place of ease versus like, oh, my God. Exactly, exactly. Everybody is going to have a different lifeline. For some, it may be reading a scripture or reading a poem. For others, it may be listening to some music. For others, it may be positive self-talk. For others, it may be texting someone. So think about what is your go-to when you need that that uplift, when you need that lifeline, and then go to it. Exactly. Kate is a lifeline to (laughs) entrepreneurs, speakers, authors, and coaches where she helps them stand out online. So they become recognized authorities in their marketplaces and respected assets to their clients. Kate uses her journalism and her marketing background to tease out her clients' compelling stories and to position them as experts or thought leaders, both online and in person. Discovering an individual story makes her expertise truly uncommon in the world of online personal promotion. Kate is a LinkedIn trainer and she uses the tool as a powerful, powerful personal branding platform. Kate also speaks at national marketing marketing conferences. I wonder if you've gone to inbound. We'll talk about that later. I have. Yes. (laughs) Kate also speaks at the national marketing conferences about personal branding strategies, social media tactics, and using LinkedIn to grow your business. As a matter of fact, it's because of inbound, this ginormous marketing conference that usually takes place. A huge, we have to get our Oprah voices, huge (laughs) conference. It takes place in Boston right after Labor Day weekend every year with COVID and, and the pandemic and such. There's been, you know, changes to, you know, every conference on the planet right. at, this, at this point. But it was because of Inbound that this podcast even came to be. But Kate, so you help people uh, and you speak at conferences about using LinkedIn to, I'm just going to put it in my terms, be rock stars. Yes. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit more about that. How did you decide this is my jam or this is one of my jams? Well, I was, my background was in marketing and journalism. And of course, as a journalist, um, you know, you're telling stories. And I don't mean like bedtime stories, but you're telling a story to inform people and to, you know, give them information. And um, as I started to grow in my business, when I had the first iteration of my business, um, I was doing mostly public relations stuff, working with people on their PR. And then that was around 2008, 2009, when the whole market crashed and everything went down the tubes. And the last thing people wanted to do was hire somebody for PR because that was seen as a nice to have, not a need to have. And um, then I started working. I was working in a um, I was in a women's business owners networking group here in Vermont. And I um, ended up becoming a part time executive director for that nonprofit. 
And a lot of women were coming up to me saying, you know, like I've got this skill as a, or I've got this talent as a, I have no idea. I know what I do and I know how to do it. And I know I'm good at it. I have no idea to let people know what I do. So it kind of just became this thing where I started helping people on a one-to-one basis with, okay, here's how you do your website. Here's how you write your copy. Here's how you, you know, write a blog. And of course, this was all starting to happen just as social media was starting to come out. So Facebook was pretty new. Um, Instagram, I'm not even sure if Instagram was out yet. Twitter was coming out. Uh, LinkedIn was existed, but LinkedIn was primarily a job seeking platform. And so anyway, over time, long story short, I started to see the benefit that you could use to use LinkedIn, the channel as a uh, place for your digital footprint, almost like a modern day yellow book, you know, yellow pages (laughs) on steroids. Um, and, and obviously your website, if you have a business, that's what you own on the internet. So you always want that to be there because that, that's the thing you own on the internet. You don't own your Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter profile. If they go belly up tomorrow. So it goes your profile too. But LinkedIn is a place where you can show your portfolio in so many different kinds of ways, show your background. It's just an in-depth look. That's why I call it your digital biography or your digital footprint where you just wouldn't do that on your website. Your about page is a paragraph or two. You know, you wouldn't go into all the past jobs you've had or, or the speaking engagements and things like that, unless that's a part of your business and that's what's on your website. But um, so LinkedIn just became a place where I felt comfortable because it wasn't political. It wasn't um, full of kind of the vitriol that you can get on some of the other social And LinkedIn has stayed a truly professional online network, whether you're job seeking or for marketing. Mm. Something that caught my attention was where you said that LinkedIn was a place where you felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that tends to be a challenge sometimes with speaking is finding a place of comfort and finding a topic where you're comfortable with it, right? Exactly. So, and I think that's probably one of the things that some of the best speakers do is finding, quote unquote, finding a place where they are comfortable and staying in that lane. That's how certain people become experts. It's because like you were saying earlier, they're always learning about that Mm -hmm. topic. And in order to get comfortable, you really do have to choose a lane. So again, that's one of the one of the things that I believe the absolute best speakers do is picking a lane and getting somewhere where they're comfortable and and feel that they can stretch out. What else do the best speakers do, would you say, Kate? Well, I th- I think I don't want to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I think you just you really need to know your topic. And then once you know what your topic is, you really need to find your niche in that topic, niche, niche, tomato, tomato. (laughs) Um, And and then go from there. Because if you speak about something because you know the topic, you're going to end up coming off perhaps as a generalist. But if you can find where you bring in that specific neat thing that makes you unique um, and you talk about that aspect. So like for me, it's how to use LinkedIn. There's, I mean, there's a lot of speakers out there that talk about how to use LinkedIn, but I'm talking about how to use LinkedIn with using a nugget of your personal story. And then I work with my clients on that. Like, let's identify your personal story 
and figure out how that's going to be a part of who you are, because it shows not only who you are as a professional, but it shows who you are as a person. And if you can show that on LinkedIn, you're going to have better relationships and better connections. And people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust, right? So if you can start to build that connection on both the personal and professional level, um, I think you're more likely to have a, a conversation which could eventually lead to a transaction. Those presentations from people that we know, like, and trust tend to be the ones that we remember the most. Those are the ones that stick with us hours, days, weeks, even years later. I know, Kate, you've had this happen to you where you'll bump into somebody or meet somebody at an event and they know you and you're sitting here like, oh, oh, I don't know you, stranger danger, right? But it was because they were in an audience, (laughs) right, where you were speaking. Tell me about a time you gave a presentation that had that hallmark memorable feature to it, if you will. What about that presentation made it so memorable? What did you do or what did you say that made it unforgettable or that had people talking about it days down? I think my, my, my story for that, for your question is yeah. a little, might not be what you would expect because it was an unexpected thing, which is, which was actually ended up being a learning moment for me as a speaker. So I was teaching a group of um, people in the military who were in special operations. So like Navy SEALs, like that level. And this group of people um, is men and women um, were leaving their military career and wanting to go into a, a, you know, their civilian career, they were going to leave their military service and go into whether working for a company, being an entrepreneur or whatever. So in the course of my three hour presentation workshop for them, I started talking about personal branding, like the term, like what does personal branding mean? And as I'm talking, this big puffy chested guy, handsome guy stands up and he basically completely interrupts me. I mean, for a moment, I was a little scared. (laughs) It ended up being fine, but I was a little like, oh my gosh. And he goes, I don't understand this term personal brand. I'm not going to walk up to somebody in an interview and go up and say, hi, my name is, you know, Larry Lunchpail and my personal brand is, and I had this huge aha moment. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think I, I thought I was teaching what is a personal brand in a way that was a foundational sort of philosophical thing that you know in your brain and you know in your heart, but you don't go and say, this is my personal brand. You don't like put it on your resume. My personal brand is. Um, But obviously I wasn't clear. And so here's this topic that I talk about all the time. This guy stood up, kind of called me on the carpet, um, made me realize, and he kind of did it with humor. And I responded with humor, fortunately, which is what got me through it. But to this day, I tell that story when I work with that group of people all the time, because I basically am trying to say your personal brand and how you position yourself is something that you know in your mind and your heart, and you understand that it's a platform from which you stand, but it's not something that you say out loud or in print, this is my personal brand. And so that moment, I mean, it was a, it was a little bit of a, not a scary threatening moment, but it was like, I, I was like, oh my God, I'm on. I really messed up. I, now I've confused all these people. Like all of that stuff goes flushing through me in seconds. I mean, there was a part of me that could have been like, I'm completely thrown off. Can I even go on? 
but we both used humor and it was fine, but it was a huge learning moment for me because it's, it's a foundational piece of what I talk about. And now I talk about that in a much more clear way. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. I hope that, that it does. It does. It does. It reminds me of other guests where they have told me about incredibly memorable moments in presentations. And a lot of those moments involved something an audience member said or did and not so much what the speaker said or did. So it does answer the question. It, 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 it kind of follows along the lines of, a presentation is not just about who's up there on that microphone, right. but it's about everybody and everybody creates the experience. And that one particular gentleman, Larry Lunchpail, we'll call him, <laughs> may have been seen as a difficult audience member by some speakers. However, you saw it as a totally different situation and use it as a teachable moment you use it as an aha moment but for those of us who would have just been shaken and turned upside down and and you know thrown off our games we would have seen it as a difficult audience member right how do you deal with difficult audience members or do you even see them as such well I think there's always, you know, there's always one in every crowd kind of thing. I mean, there's either the type of person that stands up who wants to act like they know more than you. I'm sure we've all seen that. Um, (laughs) And I've learned that, you know what, that person just wants to be heard. So what I will do is if they want to stand up and make their point, um, I will certainly allow that. If they keep raising their hand or they keep trying again, then I will say, you know what, Um, obviously you'd like to have more of a conversation about this. So I'm happy to talk to you about this afterwards, but let's give someone else a turn. So I kind of do something like that. And I just sort of refocus it or shift it a little bit because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to make anybody feel bad, Um, but I also want to give other people the opportunity. And I think people in an audience look to the speaker to be able to facilitate a situation like that when it happens. Um, because there are, I've been in plenty of audiences where there's been somebody who's been, um, you know, manipulative of the speaker's time or wants to keep making a point or is just being, however they're being, they're just not being, you know, um, the way you'd hope or something. And you kind of look to the speaker and you kind of go, I wonder how they're going to handle that. And they have to handle that because if they don't, then it makes not only, you could have given a fabulous presentation. But if you can't learn how to shift things or rework things as you go, then it makes the whole experience maybe not so great for the majority of the audience members. So really embracing the talent or the skill of shifting, really taking a split second and think to yourself, I've got two or three options here. Which one is going to yield the best results for everyone here? Or at least at a minimum, yield the best results for the audience. Exactly. Try to figure that out. Oh my goodness. You have to figure that out as quickly as possible. Well, I always say, you know, some people say, oh, I've got to have a plan A and a plan B. And I'm like, you got to have a plan A to a plan F. Okay. Because, and if you, the thing is, and I've worked with, with people who have helped me learn this. I didn't just figure this all out by myself. And it certainly wasn't taught to me by my high school public speaking teacher. But, you know, if you can imagine these scenarios that could happen um, and you have an idea of how, if I'm in their shoes, how would I handle it? And you know that in advance, then you can pull it out of your back pocket and have it ready. And, you know, it's not going to be formulaic because you never know how that person's going to be. But um, 
you know, the other thing is too, is you can also going back to the friend, you know, the lifeline, if you have a colleague or a person who's in that audience um, and you can talk to them in advance, say, listen, if nobody asks a question, here's a question I'd like you to ask. Um, it would be a legit question, you know, but at least somebody asks a question, which usually will lead other people to ask a question. Or if somebody is um, maybe a little difficult or something, maybe you could stand up and ask a question and make a point so that it's, you, you've almost got like a little bit of a, they call them a plant. I hate that because it sounds so shady, but if it's, it's basically somebody who's there to be a support if you need it, but for the right reason, not as a crutch. Yes. Support was the exact word that I had in mind because I feel the same way. A plant, a mole, it just sounds so suspect. But if you can have that person and then the strategy that you gave for for addressing that difficult audience member is is perfect, especially I I love where you say, hey, listen, this might require a little bit more of an in-depth conversation. Let's you and I talk afterwards. Let's you and I have a conversation once the presentation is done so we can really discuss this. Always position that person to save face. That's what you always want to do. Even if deep down in your heart, you you really want to go there with it. And the audience, the audience knows you want to go there with it. Right? They they can tell, but just have a one-liner where it's like, that is a fantastic question, or I really appreciate you asking that. In the interest of time, let's you and I talk later. Or if it's, you know, I don't know, or you can ask if anybody in the audience wants to address that one. That's a really good I've done one. that. I've actually done that. I've, um, especially if we've had a conversation going with Q&A. Yeah. Somebody might've made a point 10 minutes earlier. I would actually say, hey, so-and-so, we just talked about this. What would you say to this person? Um, and then you actually, not only are you addressing the issue, but you're actually creating an interactive style. Yes, yes. You, oh my goodness. Yes, yes, and yes. I, that's all I have to say. Yes. Yeah. Just, people, just people like that. They love that interaction rather than just formal Q&A. In fact, whenever I give a talk, depending on the talk, I'd say nine times out of 10, I will always let people know this is how this is going to go. And um, I would prefer that you ask questions as we go rather than save them for the end because we have a lot to cover. So don't hesitate to raise your hand or interject. And other people might probably have the same question. So, and then this makes it interactive. And I think everybody kind of goes like this, you know, like they heave a sigh of relief and they're like, oh, good. Because, you know, sometimes people want to ask a question. You're going to be speaking for an hour they might lose their train of thought, then they forget. And then you've got somebody who's kind of doesn't feel like they've been served. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. And it makes your presentation even more memorable exactly. when, when you bring in other voices and you demonstrate that your voice is not the only one in the room that's important or that has the answers or that has expertise. Right. And you're, you position them to not only have conversations in there, but also to have them having conversations about your topic, your presentation, even you beyond that presentation. Right. Exactly. Tell me your top one, two, or three recommendations for improving your speaking skills 
on a daily basis because it's one thing to think about, okay, I've got a presentation next week. Let me make sure I have all of my tools to address the difficult audience member. Let me make sure I have my backup plan for technology. Let me make sure I've practiced and so on and so forth. But do you have any techniques or tips or strategies that you recommend we practice on a daily basis or as regularly as possible so that when the big day comes, we're ready. So one thing I do is I watch a lot of other people speak. Um, and that's one of two things is going to happen. I'm either going to really see something that they do that just is just makes me go, oh, I love that. Or I'm going to be like, oh, I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> um, you know, so it's both. So that's good. Um, so I always watch other people speak. I've actually, whenever I've had myself recorded, and especially with in the last year with COVID, I've done a lot of virtual speaking. I've actually made myself and it's hard, but I've made myself watch myself and watching myself on zoom or whatever technology is being used has been a huge help. So that helps. Um, the other thing that I recommend, and I do this mostly with my, my women speaker friends. Um, and I learned this from somebody else is if you're speaking in a, in a certain venue, just go to the bathroom before you're going to speak and do the power pose in the mirror, like with your hands up, like in the victory and kind of like, just remind yourself that, you know, you were here, you were vetted. People want to know what, you know, they're excited to have you and own it, you know, and celebrate it and kind of have that, like that moment to yourself. You know, if somebody walks into the bathroom while you're doing it, well, too bad. <laughs> Um, and then the other piece that I, I would suggest too, is that in your talks is to tell a story. Um, it's part of what, you know, it's part of what I stand for by helping people discover their story, use their story to help position themselves online. But whenever you can use any kind of a story, even if it's a few different stories in your talk, or you can lead out with a story that is obviously relevant to the topic. Um, you're going to captivate your listeners so much more quickly. Um, a lot of times I'll see people when they start to speak, they're like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And there's like, they spend this like three to five minute warm up, and you're going to lose your people. So I like to dig right in. I don't, you know, I mean, the thank yous can come at the end, but um, start right in, pull people in. They are excited. I don't know if you notice this. I noticed this at inbound and I'm going off topic a little bit. But at Inbound, which is a huge conference, up to 20,000 people now, there's all these breakout sessions over multiple days. And I don't know if you've known this, noticed this, I'm sure you have, is that when you go into especially a uh, session where there's a pretty well-known speaker, there's like 300, 400 people in the room. And within the first five minutes, people start to leave. And they'll go because they're like, this isn't hooking me. I'm going to go to go to another breakout session. And um that's if there's one thing that scares me, it's that kind of a thing. So I have completely changed how I do my talks and I pull people in right away. Because I don't want them walking hey. out. I mean, I understand that the topic might not be for everybody. I get that. But that's one thing that I've right. that as a speaker really kind of would make me, you know, shudder a little. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, some people may be leaving because right. maybe they got an important call. Or yeah, exactly. Maybe whatever, right? But like you said, if you're starting to see quite a few people leaving within those first few minutes, it's because you've not drawn them in. And one thing that I want to encourage listeners to do going forward with your presentations, whether it is telling a story 
or, or, you know, starting with some interesting graphic, do something that immediately draws in your audience. For me, it's immediately solving a mystery. It is immediately answering a question for the audience. I immediately connect with them and let them know, I get it. Public speaking is scary. You have watched the videos, you have read the books, you've taken the classes and you still feel like you cannot figure this out. By the time we're done with this session, you are going to know A, B, C, and D. And we're going to accomplish it by this, this, and this. Let's get started. I immediately solve for them a mystery that one, I understand where you're coming from. And two, these are the tools you are going to get in this presentation in order to make sure this was time well spent. And because I've started doing presentations, well, I think I've always done presentations like that for some reason. I don't know why, but well, I just- it's your style, but you're also, you're also um, doing a service for them. Like you're showing yes. them that, that they're going to get something out of this, that they're in the right place. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't have people getting up leaving because they're sitting there saying, wow, she understands my position and she's going to give me tools for getting over this. And you know, yes, I'm going to hang out. <laughs> and you know what you just described? It's the same thing if you're trying to make a sale. You know, you've got to be helping somebody see the problem and show how you can help them resolve the problem. Um, because when you can show, I think, I think we all get really good at saying, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this, but we don't say I can do this, which will help you to do X. So you're not saying what the feature and the benefit is. So you're doing that feature and benefit in your talk, but it's also the kind of thing that you want to do when you're maybe having a prospecting call too. And again, exactly. another topic, sorry. But. <laughs> another <laughs> podcast. We've thrown out about three or four podcast ideas. Anybody out there listening, we <laughs> And you're thinking about starting a podcast. We've given you some ideas here. Kate, if no one hears anything else on this podcast episode, give them one last tip, strategy, approach. If, if, If they hear nothing else, if listeners hear nothing else, what is this one thing they need to know about getting up there and owning that microphone? I honestly believe it's knowing what your story is, having a story, figure out what that story is, whether it's a story about you that aligns with the topic so that it makes a point so that people can visualize what it is that you're talking about so that they can create an emotional connection to your topic and what you're about to talk about. I think that having what that, that story, now you don't make it up the minute you get up there, you need to really identify this and work it out almost on paper before you even speak. But I think when you have, whether it's you doing the way you approach it to start, which I think is great. It's almost a form. It's not a form of story, but it's a form of like letting people know what they're in for. Um, People feel comfortable when you can kind of share that with them. If you can hook them in and capture their attention right from the beginning, um, story is a really good way to do that. You know, people used to talk about like, um, Stand-up comedians, for example, would be like, you know, a funny thing happened on their way to the theater. And, you know, they'd tell that kind of a story. But that's what engaged people. They would immediately want to know more. And um, I think that that would be my number one, my number one tip. Immediately draw them in. Immediately get them on the edges of their seats. Immediately have them where they're wanting to learn more. Kay Payne, you have just been a pure delight. 
to have on the show. You've, you've been awesome. It's been fun to spend this time with you. I hope we get to meet an inbounder somewhere else in the future in real life. I know that would be absolutely awesome. I, I love that conference and love Boston. I can't tell which one I love more, the city <laughs> or, the, or the event that uh, both are just uh, at the top of my list. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, listen, everybody, uh, I, it's just been an absolute pleasure to have Kate on the show. I trust you walked away with some fantastic ideas and new approaches to ensure that you always own the microphone. I'll catch you next time. <laughs>